Today's reading comes from Hebrews 1, uh, 23 to um, 29. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to, uh, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures he regard, of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are so grateful for your word. We know that it is living and touches our very hearts. Father, your word tells us that faith is your gift, and we pray that this morning, as we approach your word and your table, you would be giving that gift of faith abundantly. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So it is summer, which of course means it is baseball season, at least if you live in our household. Uh, virtually every night is baseball practice or baseball games, and if we're not going to a baseball field, we're usually watching baseball on TV. Uh, it's what we do. But I have to admit, yes, I, even I, sometimes burn out on baseball. Hard to believe, I know, isn't it? And every once in a while, I'll lay on the couch and want to watch anything but baseball. Usually when that happens, I flip between the Discovery Channel and the History Channel. And one of the sh History Channel doesn't show any history anymore. Have you noticed that? But one of the shows that I do like on the History Channel is American Pickers. Uh, it's these two guys who travel all over the country in a van and go to barns, go to warehouses, boarded up old stores, junk piles, and find treasures there. Uh, they walk in, and I'm always amazed. They, they pull out an old busted headlight, buy it for $20, and sell it for 200 You know, they, they buy old, rusty cans of gas or oil and, and somehow make a profit. I don't understand it, but it's fascinating. The more I've watched that show, the more I've realized it's a wonderful analogy for faith. Because... Faith gives us eyes to see what others cannot or will not see. These two guys go in and they see treasure where other people see junk. By faith, we see and believe in an invisible God. By faith, we see and believe in promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And as we approach this text this morning, we, we learn that faith gives us Eyes to see the true worth of something. And insight to choose that which is truly valuable, even when it costs us and sometimes costs us dearly. We desperately need the Word of God here to give us this vision, these 
faith lenses because the world we live in holds up things like title, privilege, success, money, pleasure, and it says these are the things to live for. These are the things that you give everything to attain. But when we come together as the faith community, we check our vision. And we put on the glasses that allow us to see through faith. And we see, yeah, those things are, are shiny, but they're fleeting. And they're temporary. Uh, they're baubles and widgets. They're not the eternal treasure that we've been called to. This morning we look at, we continue this series, Walking in the Footsteps of Faith. And we look at the faith of Moses, faith in Egypt. And we're going to see four phases of faith's development. Four phases of faith's development. First, there's this foundational phase. Initially, someone lays the foundation for faith. Notice in the text that was read, it's Hebrews eleven twenty three through 29 this morning. In the text that was read, it doesn't start with Moses' faith. It starts with, by faith, Moses' parents. Last week, Bob outed me as a Presbyterian Calvinist. He did not have my permission to do that, but uh, that wasn't always the case. I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, fundamentalist Baptist household. Uh, I've changed the flavor of my faith a little bit. My dad and I have wonderful discussions regarding theology. But I have never, ever ceased to appreciate the deep foundation for my faith that my parents laid. Faith was the language of our household. We talked about scripture. We prayed together. My parents would give us insight into why they were making decisions and how the, their faith played into their decision making. And sometimes their decisions from my perspective looked like folly. And if I'm absolutely honest, sometimes they still do. But I see their faith at work. They laid a deep foundation for my faith. And I think you see that in this text too. Moses came to faith old-fashioned way through his parents. They laid this foundation for his faith. Had they not exercised their faith in defiance of this, the king's, pharaoh's genocidal command, verses 24, 25, and 26 never would have happened. They, they defied Pharaoh. Pharaoh had issued an edict that all the Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. Because the Hebrew population was growing so large, Pharaoh feared them. But Moses' parents weren't afraid. Not of the king. And in defiance of his command, 
they kept their baby boy safe for three months. And then in another remarkable step of faith, built a basket for him and sent him down the Nile River, where in God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter would gather him out of the waters and raise him as her son. Now had Moses' parents not acted in faith, Moses' faith would never have been possible. We know that Moses' parents were involved in his life as a young boy. The quick thinking of his sister made that possible. When Pharaoh's daughter plucked him out of the Nile, she said, oh, I know someone who can nurse this baby for you, and brought Moses' own mother to nurse Moses. It's remarkable, providential, miraculous. How much did Moses' parents impart their faith to Moses in those early years? We don't know. There's a huge gap between Moses' birth and rescue from the Nile and kind of the next episode in his life, about 40 years. But I think the texts give us some clue that Moses' parents were somehow involved. Notice verse 23, it says, Moses' parents, they didn't fear the king. Moses learned from that example. In verse 27, Moses didn't fear the king. We know that by the time he was 40 years old, he had come to identify himself with the Hebrew people, the people of God. How much did he know? Exodus doesn't tell us a lot. But I think we can be confident that someone, probably his parents, told him about Abraham and how the Hebrew people were a chosen people that were blessed by God and called to be a blessing to the world. We don't know exactly all the details of it, how it laid, played out, but someone laid a foundation for Moses' faith. See, this principle isn't just about parenting. I focused on how parents have, can lay a foundation for their children. But it's what we, as the church, are called to do. We talk about evangelism, and we use this phrase to be synonymous with evangelism, sharing our faith. So what we do, we take this faith that we own, and we go out to the workplace, to the dorm, to our neighborhoods, and we share it. We lay the foundations for other people's faith. Knowing that others are going to come and, and build on that. Knowing that the Spirit is working, building on that. And it doesn't happen just at the beginning of someone's faith journey. We're constantly laying foundations for each other's faith. Sharing our faith communally. So that when my faith thins out and is stretched, there's someone there who can lend me their faith, and I can borrow it from them. And it's reciprocal. This week I had just an incredible conversation with a gentleman who's been a believer far longer than I have been. And just to hear how he talked about Jesus as Savior laid new foundations for my faith, deepened them, enriched them. That's what we're called to as the people of God. Lay foundations for one another's faith. And let me encourage you 
to be intentional about that. Uh, let me speak to two specific groups for just a moment. Parents and those of you who are professors at the university. Parents, be intentional about laying the groundwork for your children's faith. It does not happen by accident. When we come and dedicate our children to the Lord or baptize them into the covenant, we're committing to doing the hard work of laying the foundations of their faith, of teaching them what it means to believe and walk with God, of informing them about our faith and how it, it's lived out. Do that hard work. Do that hard work. It, what I'm about to say to professors applies to so many others, but in just a few weeks, the campus is going to fill with, what, 38,000, 42,000, whatever the number is this year, students. Thousands of them are Christians, students of faith. Many will find it very challenging to live out their faith, to hold on to their faith in the secular university. You have no idea the impact you could have if they just knew you were a person of faith. They just knew people with high intelligence who had reached kind of the pinnacle of academic life still held on to their faith. I've had conversations with students who said, you know, Dan, why aren't there any smart Christians? And I love being able to look around and say, look at that person. They're the chair of that department. Uh, look at that one. People look to them as the experts in their field of science, of psychology, of philosophy, of business. Fill in the blank. You have no idea the impact you can have, the foundations for faith that you can lay. Obviously, it requires great discernment and wisdom and care. But don't hesitate. Be intentional about laying the foundations for faith. That's the first phase, the foundational phase. The second phase is the, the personal phase. Eventually, faith must be made personal. You see this transition in the Hebrews text that we're looking at. It starts off with, by faith, Moses' parents. But then when you get to the next verse, it's by faith, Moses. There's a transition this faith that was his parents, that wasn't his own yet, is somehow now his. And so he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. He chooses to go out and leave Egypt. He chooses and he sees and he regards because it's his faith now. Something's happened. When did it happen? Well, again, we're not told exactly in the texts, whether the Exodus text or this Hebrews text. Maybe it was in that moment when he's out walking among the Hebrew people and he sees an Egyptian oppressor beating an Israelite, a Hebrew. Maybe it's in that moment that it all clicks together for him and that's when his faith becomes his. Maybe that was the crisis. Or maybe not. 
Maybe he grew into his faith gradually, imperceptibly. Maybe he couldn't even tell you when his faith became his faith. For some people, they have an identifiable moment where they can say, yes, that's when I trusted Christ. They walked down and accepted an invitation at a church. They responded to someone's presentation of the gospel and prayed. But for others, it's the air they've breathed from birth. I remember when my oldest son, who's 16 now, which still boggles my mind, um, wanted to be baptized. He was eight. And we came to one of the, the dig sessions. And the dig session at that point was uh, a short presentation. And then we kind of broke off into individual rooms, parent and child, to talk about and ask questions regarding baptism and the child's faith. And I remember asking my son one of those questions. And it was, when did you trust or come to love Jesus? And the look on my son's face was one of absolute confusion and almost offense. (laughs) And he said to me, I've always loved and trusted Jesus. Now to some that might be concerning. To me, it was one of the most proud parenting moments I've ever had. There was a seamless connection between his mom's and my faith and the foundations we had laid in his own. It was beautiful. I don't know when it happened. He doesn't know exactly when it happened, but his faith was his own. And that eventually must happen. You cannot live forever on the foundations that others have built. There must be a point where you say, yes, I believe, I choose, I have faith. It's the second phase. The third phase is the costly phase. Because inevitably, faith will cost you something. Inevitably. This was the point in the sermon that I had the most difficulty with. Because I don't want to overstate it and be grandiose and make rhetorical points that might not actually be true, but they sound great. I don't want to sound like Chicken Little and the sky is falling and we're going to be crucified in the town center or anything like that. Uh, But, inevitably, faith will cost you something. There's two mistakes to avoid. First, we cannot assume that faith will cost everybody in the same way. It's just not true. It's the first mistake. The second is to believe that you can skate by without your faith costing you something. It always costs. For some, it will cost titles and privilege. It might cost job advancement and honor and awards and accolades. For all, it will mean dying to the attachment to honor and privilege and awards and accolades. 
For some, it will cost them materially as they give up maybe lucrative careers or are forced out of lucrative careers because of their faith. For some, it might cost them wealth as their homes are plundered. It's happening in many parts of the world. Or their businesses are looted because of their faith. That might happen for some. But for all, it means holding on loosely to the material. Holding on loosely to the tangible and clinging heavenly and building heavenly treasure and reward. For everyone, faith means renouncing sin. For some, for some, this renunciation will be visible, public, demonstrative, because their sin was public and visible and demonstrative. But not for all. Uh, For some, their renunciation of sin will be missed by all but the most keen of observers. Because the sin they're renouncing are sins of the hearts. Pride, greed, lust, envy. It doesn't look the same for all of us, but faith does inevitably cost us. Faith inevitably means giving up one's affections, one's attachments to the things of this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who knew something about the cost of faith, wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, the first Christ suffering which everyone must experience is a call to abandon the attachments to this world. It is the dying of the old man which is the result of one's encounter with Christ. The cross is not the terrible end of the Christian life. It is the beginning, he says. For when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Whether the Christian loses title or wealth or honor or privilege or status, he's already died to them. And like Moses, who gave up the palace life, who gave up the fleeting pleasures of sin and wealth and safety and comfort, like Moses, all those of us who are of faith count those costs as small compared to the reward of gaining Christ. Faith faith gives us eyes to see that worldly treasures are like seawater. Seawater looks great when you're a thirsty survivor in a rowboat. But you drink it, and it just leaves you more thirsty and more dehydrated. Faith teaches us to say no to the seawater of worldly things and to long for the living water of Christ. Uh, I wonder if Paul had Moses in mind when he penned Philippians chapter 3. Paul says there, Whatever were gains to me, 
I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now at this point I could ask and maybe should ask questions regarding our faith. Is it ready for sacrifice? Is it strong enough? What price are you willing to pay? I could ask those, but I'm much more interested to ask questions about your Jesus. In your estimation, is being least in Jesus' kingdom better than honor and accolade in this world? In your estimation, is suffering with Christ better than comfort and ease in this world? If not, then your estimation of Christ is badly misshapen. You haven't yet caught a glimpse of the beauty of His glory or experienced the warmth and the depth of His love for you. We need to be enamored again with His goodness, with His perfection, with His holiness, with His worth. Because only through faith, when you behold Christ as He is, as the most valuable treasure to possess, will you be willing to lose everything for Him? It's not a matter of how strong is your faith. It's more a matter of how big is your Jesus in your eyes. We all need our vision of Jesus to be clarified and expanded. Because only then will we choose mistreatment, disgrace, dishonor, and maybe even death to attain Him, as Paul did. That's the third phase, the costly phase. But it leads to the fourth phase, the attainment phase. Uh, Eternally, faith attains an immeasurable reward. Not now, not in full at least, not yet. We, We attain to the things that faith aspires only partially now. But there is a day when faith becomes sight, when the reward is enjoyed in full. This hall of faith filled with men like Moses and David and Noah and Enoch, the text tells us none of them in their lifetime achieved faith's reward in full. Not one. The author of Hebrews says they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had something better planned. But eternally, they receive it. Eternally, they receive an inheritance that doesn't fade, that doesn't spoil, that doesn't leave you thirsty and empty, as worldly promises do. In this life, we're given tastes of it. As we worship together, we're given tastes of what heavenly worship is like. As we fellowship together, we're given tastes of what brotherly and sisterly love will look like in heaven. 
as we approach the Lord's table, we're giving quite literally a taste of the presence of God that will be our future inheritance forever. Faith attains these things. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. What your faith looks to and longs for, keep your eyes fixed on him. Go to the Word, not just for information, not just for theological trivia, not just to win. Does anyone still play Bible trivia? But not just to win Bible trivia. Go to the Word to have your eyes lifted to your reward, to Jesus. Go to the Word so that you can see better through the lens of faith that which is of ultimate worth and value. Pray. Pray that God would open your eyes to see clearly and truly. And be with the community who lays foundations for your faith, who challenges you in your faith, and who points you always forward, pressing on to the eternal goal. I don't know what phase of development your faith is in. If you're in that foundational faith and in the faith isn't yet your own, I would love, or Bob or John or Josiah, we, we would love to talk to you about how you can make faith your own and take those steps of faith and belief. If you're in that place where it is your own faith, I just encourage you, tend to it. Care for it. Work to deepen it and expand it. If you're in that costly phase where maybe you're struggling and asking, is this worth what it's demanding of me? Then know you're surrounded, as Hebrews says, by a great cloud of witnesses who have paid the price and just give a resounding amen It is worth everything you have to attain this reward. Be encouraged. Be encouraged in your faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that we do not stand on our own, but we're surrounded in this great cloud of witnesses through the ages and even in this very room who have been there and they've done that. They've paid the price, and they persevere. Father, we pray that you would strengthen all of our faith to continue in this walk, to continue to pay the price when it's necessary, to always, always be taking that next step of faith so that we can attain eternally the reward that you've called us to. We know that it is so great. Father, deepen our faith in Jesus' precious name. Amen.